Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. Hey, Dolphins. What's up? And welcome into the Friday, January the 10th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, another surprise coaching hire from Brian Flores. I'll introduce you to Miami's new outside linebackers coach. We'll stop by the edge on the offensive side of the football and preview the tight end position for the upcoming offseason. And we're going to answer a bunch of your questions via the Twitter mailbag, all of that and more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcast. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review wherever you get your podcast from. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL, the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter as voted by Dolphins Twitter. Check out the show at Locked on Fins. We'll follow you back. And head over to LockedOnDolphins.com for all the daily written content, including an introduction into the new outside linebackers coach and the tight end article up on the website. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. So the edge position needs upgrading pretty badly, I think, on both sides of the football, but in particular on the defensive side. And the Dolphins went in on a new coach at the position, former Illinois defensive line coach under Lovey Smith, Austin Clark. He's a pup, just 30 years old, had a playing career cut short by injuries, and immediately jumped into coaching as a GA at USC. And he's got a pretty impressive resume, albeit a short one, but he has gotten production from players at a school like Illinois in the Big Ten. We've got all the details up on LockedOnDolphins.com, including this tweet from Ian Rappaport, Rap Sheet. The Dolphins are hiring an assistant from the college ranks. Illinois defensive line coach Austin Clark is joining Miami and will coach the outside linebackers, a source said. Just 30 years old, Clark is considered a rising talent in the coaching world, and that makes sense. Illinois suddenly got a bunch of production from rushers when previously, well, they were flat out terrible. The Fighting Illini were 2-10 and ten the year prior to Clark's arrival, then 4-8 and eight his first year in 2018, and then 6-7 and seven this year with a bowl game appearance for the first time since Lovey Smith took over the program in 2016. But how about the sack production? Illinois had 25 sacks this past year. Last year, Clark's first in Illinois. They had 21, and in 2017, before his arrival, they had 19 sacks. So a steady progression there, getting better production out of the edge positions. He is lauded for his recruiting abilities, so he clearly relates to his players, but the development of some of these guys he had on his roster speaks to his ability to teach those guys. Like this article, which I originally saw or found from Chris Kaufman at CK Parrot on Twitter, but it comes from 247sports.com and it talks about a five-star recruit at USC who flamed out and then went to Illinois and transferred and got coached up by Clark and wound up with almost 10 sacks this past season. That player's name is Olawale Betako Jr., who also came from USC, where Clark coached several NFL draft picks like Yachena Nuosu, Rasheem Green, and I won't say his last name, but Stevie T., As I recall, the guys on the NFL Combine broadcast calling him a couple years back when he was in Indianapolis, but Nawusu and Green were both all Pac-12 first-team honors, while Stevie T was a second-team all Pac-12er as a senior and a Rose Bowl defensive MVP. 
but Clark's most impressive work came from getting former five-star recruit Betacu to basically match his career totals at USC in his first game against Akron, and granted it is Akron, but he finished with six tackles and one and a half sacks in that game, and at the time the article was published, three games into the season, Betacu led the country with six sacks and seven and a half tackles for loss, and a lot of that praise goes towards Austin Clark, who talked about Betacu's strengths playing from a three-point stance with his hand in the dirt compared to standing up as an outside linebacker, so clearly he buys into the idea and the philosophy to make the players do what they do best, don't ask them to do something they're not really equiped with or comfortable with. So the article's up on 247sports.com, as well as the details we put on the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com, and also up on LOD.com is the tight end off-season preview, and we make that transition now into that position group, and let's be completely transparent here on the podcast. I really didn't enjoy writing this article because the tight end position in the free agency market and in the draft are so underwhelming, especially in the draft this year, which is kind of a bummer because the Dolphins do have some needs at the tight end position and mainly a player that can unlock Mike Gesicki's full potential and give the Dolphins a true dual threat type or at worst, just someone that can block in line. Now that is supposed to be Durham Smythe. I think this year will be very, very important for Durham Smythe. And we start with those two incumbents. Mike Gesicki and Durham Smythe are the only tight ends right now under contract. They do have Chris Myrick from Temple, the undrafted rookie from last season who made the practice squad. He is currently signed to a futures contract. And I have some intrigue about Chris Myrick and what he can do. Thought he looked good in camp. Thought he looked better in the preseason. Was a surprise addition to the practice squad this past training camp. And so maybe he gets his crack this year in camp to beat out a guy like Durham Smythe or whoever the Dolphins might go out and find on the open market. But now we go back into the incumbents with Mike Gesicki. 51 grabs this year. He only caught 57% of his passes or his targets, I should say. And that's got to go up 570 yards with an impressive 11.2 yards per reception for a tight end and 6.4 yards per target. He also caught five touchdowns. His PFF grade was 60.4. That's 65th out of 133 tight ends. He played 702 snaps, 65.1% of the Dolphins' offensive workload. And the best part about his season in 2019, he took a 75% reduction in total pass block workload from 48 snaps down to 12 this past season. They didn't ask him to do stuff he's not good at, and the result was a much better production season for Mike Gesicki. He's not going to be a guy that gets in there and blocks, whether it's in line, in pass protection, or clears guys out. But he is a significant threat going down the field in the passing game, especially stretching the seam vertically or working outside the numbers in one-on-one matchups against linebackers or safety going up over the top of them. And I put out three areas of improvement for Mike Gesicki in the offseason, talked about it all summer and all fall as he showed improvement in those areas, functional strength, contact balance, and competitiveness at the catch point. I thought he achieved all of those goals and excelled in all three phases. He was targeted a ton in the past game and played a lot of snaps so I believe there's a lot more meat on the bone there and if the team is as committed to him as being a focal point of the offense and the passing game as I believe he is then I think it's reasonable to expect another jump in production for Mike Gesicki next year the other incumbent Durham Smythe his fellow 2018 rookie draft class mate did not have as good of a year seven catches on 14 targets 65 yards 9.3 yards per reception 4.6 yards per target he was the 102nd 
graded tight end out of 133 on Pro Football Focus. Played about half the snaps of Gasicki, 482 for 44% of Miami's total workload. And of those 14 targets, 11 of them occurred in the final six games of the season. And Smythe mostly played the same number of reps throughout the season, working both with Nick O'Leary and Clive Walford in unbalanced 12 personnel packages, as well as 11 personnel with Mike Gasicki flexed out. Because where blocking is not Gasicki's game, pass receiving is not exactly Smythe's game either, at least not yet. He was essentially an extra lineman for the Fighting Irish offense during that 2017 dominant ground game season they had. And his athletic profile projects that he could be more of a two-dimensional guy at the professional level. It just hasn't quite happened yet. He can align in tight as the classic wide tight end, and his primary responsibilities were prying open the C-gap for off-tackle runs and staying in for pass protection. That role provided a mixed bag for him, I thought, although he did not allow a single hit on Ryan Fitzpatrick, but he did allow four pressures. He's going to have competition this year. I think Miami has to add someone to try to compete with him and give Mike Gesicki more benefits or more flexibility as that move piece tight end. Coming up on the other side of the podcast, we'll talk about the options in free agency. There's one guy I like. That's it. We'll talk about him and the draft prospects at tight end and answer your questions on the Twitter mailbag. All that next here, Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Well, OG number one is officially off the draft board. Tennessee's left guard Trey Smith has gone back to Tennessee in hopes of improving his draft stock and good for him. I hope he gets the medical news he desires all year long there at Rocky Top and puts himself back into the first round as a draft prospect. Dane Brugler mentioned that Louisiana's Robert Hunt as his new OG one in this year's draft. He compared him to Will Hernandez of UTEP a couple years back, who I absolutely loved. So I'll be digging in on him as as well as potential free agent target Graham Glasgow from the Lions and the entire offensive line preview on Sunday's show slash Monday show. But now we jump back in to the tight end position in the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. We talked about Mike Gesicki. We talked about Durham Smythe. I told you about Chris Myrick. The Dolphins have one unrestricted free agent at the position, Clive Walford. We'll see about bringing him back. The one guy that I love at this position is Hunter Henry, despite the fact that he's been banged up the last two years basically missed all of 2018 with a serious injury, missed more time this past season, four games in total. He's a multifaceted 25-year-old tight end. So why would he hit the free agent market to begin with? Well, because maybe that shaky medical history will allow for it. And if the Dolphins do want to go after a 12-personnel base offense where you can basically run out Devontae Parker and Preston Williams and then sub them out for the speedy Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant and stay with your two tight ends who can also give you 11 personnel because Mike Gesicki is basically basically a souped up wide receiver, man, you could be so dynamic, both running the football. You could run play action boot concepts. You could run double wise. You can do anything. If you have these two types of tight ends, it would remind me a lot of what the Patriots had with Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. And you might sacrifice a little bit by talent that way from those two, but you also sacrifice a lot of murder from that standpoint. So maybe that's a net bonus, but signing Henry could give you the duplication of the Gronkowski type of offense because he can do a lot in line as a blocker and he's a dynamic receiver as well. My favorite stat on Hunter Henry came from Warren Sharp's 2019 season preview where he says, quote, over 2016 and 2017, Henry was the NFL's most successful tight end target. He ranked second in success rate, 
That's a proprietary stat for Warren Sharp among all positions, and he ranked as the NFL's best player in missed yards per attempt, a metric measuring efficiency on plays graded as unsuccessful. So Sharp has high things to say about that tight end. On spot rack, the market value says he'll cost you about $8 million per year, so the Dolphins would have to dig into their pockets to make the signing. And of course, the injury history scares you, but man, the thoughts of what they can do with that offense if they had Hunter Henry and Mike Gesicki. It would remind me a lot of Minnesota with Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph in that way, even though both those guys block a lot better than Gesicki. But you get the point. Two tight ends can make for a tough offense to defend in the NFL. The reasonable route? I changed this blurb three or four times from Darren Fells to maybe even Mo Ali Cox, but then I just put sit out on free agency altogether because I think Clive Walford might be a better option than several of the names on that list, but even more so, Durham Smythe's development as the second tight end is better than those options, so I say just sit out. The sleeper is Mo Ali Cox. He's an exclusive rights free agent though, so probably not going to get free from Indianapolis, but he's a nice looking inline blocking tight end as well. Other notable free agents, Austin Hooper, Eric Ebron, Tyler Eifert, all these guys that are pass-catching options. Darren Fells, Garrett Selleck, Lance Kendricks, Levine, Levine Tololo, Richard Rogers, Pasadena. The draft, it's horrible. The guy I like is Albert Okawebanom. <laughs> I can't pronounce his damn name, but hey, we're trying. He has the build and the frame to do just about everything the position demands. But since we're after the in-blocking, in-line blocking tight ends, he too is going to be a developmental type because while he has the length and size to absorb the edge, he's just not technically proficient at the stage. He's got minimal explosiveness to his game, so maybe not the upside as a receiver. The reasonable route, Josiah DeGuara from Cincinnati. This guy plays with his hair on fire all effort all the time plays with the juice you like from the position but he doesn't have the physical traits gonna have a bad testing numbers and testing weekend in Indianapolis but he wins with effort and technique check him out and the sleeper is Dayton's Adam Trotman Troutman? Troutman? I don't know. Gold jacket, green jacket. I know Kevin Duren, my buddy from the podcast and the and the website, he knows this guy because he played at Dayton, Kevin's alma mater, but I didn't even know Dayton had a football team. I watched a little bit of his clips on the internet and it's grainy and it's hard to find, but he was a former quarterback coming into college. He needs technical refinement in all aspects of his game, but my goodness, physically, he is impressive. The 2020 tight end rankings, I have Hunter Bryant from Washington, Bryson Hopkins from Purdue, Cole Kamal from Notre Dame, Aguabanabanabanam from Missouri, and Harrison Bryant from Florida Atlantic, but most of those guys are pass-catching targets. So, again, to recap, I think Hunter Henry is the only one you go after with with intense pursuit, the only guy you try to build an offense around would be him. Otherwise, you're probably signing back-end free agents or low-level draft picks. So my prediction for the tight end position doesn't change. Mike Gesicki, Durham Smythe, and Chris Myrick. We'll talk about the offensive line on Sunday night slash Monday morning's podcast. Let's go ahead now and transition over to your questions on the Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill. I put the call out on Thursday. Y'all write back with your questions. We had 69 for this particular mailbag. Nice. And let's go ahead and start here with Noah DuPont at Noah's Adork. Regarding the coaching search and the concept of rebuilding, would you agree that fans won't leave during the tough times because since the Dolphins have become mediocre for so long, all of the frontrunner fans have gone, all that's left are diehard fans, and we are ready. Yeah, I mean... I think the sheer numbers and the sheer volume of how the podcast and website and Twitter following has grown so much this season really speaks to the dedication of the fans that are left over because you talked about it, Noah. This team hasn't escaped 
wildcard weekend since 2000. They haven't played an AFC championship game since 1992. So those guys that are still left, they've seen it all. They're never going to leave. I think your concept and your idea here is spot on. And I do believe the payoff is coming right around that corner. And I know it's a little bit too optimistic for some folks to grasp because you've been let down so many times. But I do think that all of that suffering is going to make it so much sweeter when this team does get back to winning games in January. Let's do this one real quick here from Tom Cavanaugh at TomAnik1 on Twitter. Which quarterback in this current draft class would you say is most similar to Ryan Fitzpatrick in their style? Is it Tua? Is that why Fitz has been a success here? Yeah, I compared Tua to Ryan Fitzpatrick on the podcast earlier this week, going back to the film study of Fitzpatrick from past offseason, where I spoke about his trust in his eyes and throwing against leverage and throwing against anticipation. And yeah, that's exactly how Tua wins. The body manipulation with the lower half, with the hips, with the feet, with the eyes as well, to move the defense based on that body position. The touchdown pass against Washington to Devontae Parker. Ryan Fitzpatrick did exactly what I love about Tua, where he moves the defense by moving his feet. And that's exactly where Tua excels. So yes, all cerebral approach, anticipation, and leverage. Those are the key traits, and those are Tua's best traits as well. Next one from Tyson at CrispyChicken30. Where would you spend your resources? Would you spend picks or monies on the trenches? I think that you can do both. I mean, I think that you can spread it out basically depending on however the market falls to you. We'll find out a lot more about what's available in the coming months because we're going to get guys that are re-signed, guys that are franchise tagged guys that maybe pop up from surprise cuts that are made to save cap space for other teams. I think there are plenty of options to buy interior offensive linemen. I friggin' love Joe Tooney. He's one of the best guards in the National Football League. He's reliable, good pass protector. I like Graham Glasgow. Just talked about him from Detroit. I'm kind of I guess, souring on the idea of Brandon Scherf because I don't like paying that kind of money to a guy that's always hurt. So I think the interior guys on the offensive line, you could pay for that. And Glasgow can can play center as well, which this team desperately needs. But the draft, I think, offers better options at tackle. Unless Anthony Costanzo gets free from Indianapolis, the left tackle and right tackle class is very bad because I don't believe in Jack Conklin whatsoever. But to answer your question broader, Tyson, I think you can do basically whatever you want. This team is in position to approach it however they see fit. They're not in any they're not in any binds from a financial standpoint in terms of positional budgeting. I think Xavier Howard's the only guy right now you have to factor in in terms of how you pay your position groups this season. Like, I wouldn't expect a big money cornerback to be an addition in free agency. Now, Rashad Jones is a horrible contract and he's still here. He'll probably exit after next season unless they can find someone to take on that contract in a trade. But I think that you have so much flexibility. You don't have to pigeonhole yourself at all. Just get good football players, man. That's the goal of the offseason. This one from Leighton Stoffer at Stoffer underscore Leighton. From an on-field perspective, do you believe Isaiah Simmons would fit the defense better than Minka Fitzpatrick? Great question, Leighton, because I spoke to somebody about this today who asked me why I'm so, I guess, bitter towards Minka Fitzpatrick. And I think that's the best word about to describe Minka because I liked Minka. He's the first player I ever interviewed, was super nice, very respectful, answered all my questions. He's a damn good football player, always thought he was at Alabama, and I thought he was perfect for that jack-of-all-trades position that can play single high safety, can play too deep, can come down in the box and support the C-gap as a run defender, can blitz the edge, can cover the slot, cover tight ends. He did that stuff last season and had success with everything except playing deep safety for the most part, but Isaiah Simmons is a different beast to me a way way better player he measures more closely to Derwin James who if you all recall I had him above Minka Fitzpatrick on my final draft board that season and Simmons can just do everything that I talked about just now 
on another level. So I think that he's just, yeah, he's a better fit and a much better player. This one comes in from Stan Marino at Stan underscore Marino. Hey, Travis, I was listening to the Locked On Draft podcast. You guys should all check that out, by the way. Yesterday, for the first time, and they were talking about Zach Bond. I wanted to have your opinion on him and if he's a good fit for the Dolphins if they don't grab an edge in round one. Yeah, man, let's go ahead and get that whole pack of Badgers all the way to Miami. Andrew Van Ginkle, Vince Beagle, and Zach Bond. He does the exact same things those guys do. He's long. He can set the edge in the run game, can kind of play multiple positions off that edge, gives you enough as a pass rusher, heavy, violent hands. Big fan of Zach Bond. Next one here from Orange Finn at JShu2313. When do you realistically see us in the postseason? I believe fully that 2021 is a very realistic expectation as far as when they get back into the postseason. I could see it next year, man. The AFC is not that strong. It's top heavy. I mean, the Bills got into the playoffs this year with really what kind of a team were they? The Texans won a division. They were, I guess, an okay team as well. You saw the Titans sneak in as the sixth seed competing against teams like Pittsburgh and Oakland for the sixth seed. There's no reason Miami can't be in that position. And I continue to harp on this. The Dolphins have to screw this thing up royally to not be a good team because they already have the coaching in place. They have, I mean, a quarterback who played really well last year in Ryan Fitzpatrick and they have so many resources to attack this thing however they see fit they're gonna have to miss on like more than half of their acquisitions to not be a good football team like they're in such good shape right now to build this thing so I think next year is an outside chance 2021 that's the expectation playoff football all right we're gonna come back on the other side and answer a whole bunch more of these I hate leaving you guys hanging so let's answer as many as we can we'll do that next locked on Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at locked on fins Oh man, we are just one day away from the best weekend in football, and this year they gave us the college football championship, the final, on a Monday night. We'll have an in-depth breakdown of that game and all the prospects on Tuesday's podcast. We'll go ahead and give you predictions for this weekend's games in just one second, but first, let's go ahead now and jump back into the Twitter mailbag. Jack Dixon, at JCCDixon33 on Twitter. Can you update coaches added? You did Chan, but he's not signed yet. Offensive line, defensive line, what is quarterback? quarterback coach's role. Well, we talked about Austin Clark already today. I haven't gone much in depth on the defensive backs coach because I don't know a lot about him. I talked about Chan Gailey and that's pretty much it right there. The quarterback's coach, Jerry Shaplinski, we talked about him plenty enough last year. So we'll have more for you guys on the high school coach when I get more information on him in the very near future. Next one here from Glenn Lang at Glenn underscore Lang. Now that Fromm has declared for the draft, can you realistically see him as an option for the Dolphins? If so, can he be a starter in his first year or will he need to sit for a year? I see great things ahead for the kid. I'm a bigger Jake Fromm fan than most, even though he's limited physically, I think, in terms of the arm strength. But I also have shown videos on Twitter where I think that he's leaving some meat on the bone in terms of his velocity because maybe he can get a little more proficient with his lower half and the way he sets up mechanically with those feet, with those hips, and drives it through the football. He's done it before. He's so sharp on those back shoulder throws, which does require some zip on the football. He has the leadership acumen. He is wired the right way. He's great in clutch moments with the football on his hands, third down and longs. He really excels in those areas as well. So I do believe he has a starter's career, but I don't think he has elite in him. So I think that's why he's a day two prospect, a guy you draft and maybe groom and develop, fix those mechanical issues and come back in a year or two as a starter and be an above average to second tier level quarterback if he develops the right way. Next one here from the commish at Kyle the commish. 
It seems like people are projecting safety and corner for us. Do you assume we are moving Bobby McCain back to nickel? I do think that'll be his primary responsibility, although the Dolphins were pretty adamant about keeping him at safety last season. I also wonder what the dismissal of Tony Oden and this new high school level coach coming up to coach that position, but I do think that he's going to have multiple things on his plate. If anything, last year cross-trained him to play both positions, and that's what this defense does, man. You're not going to have one set position on this defense. Got to play inside, outside, safety, box, everything you have to be able to do on this defense. I think McCain's capable of at least giving you an average player at those positions but nickel for sure is his best spot. Mr. Stubborn at Abduarte underscore one. Who are some players currently projected to be late round picks that you think Miami could get that would be instant contributors? Well, the reason they go late in the draft usually is why they're not instant contributors. And I'm actually going to go ahead and pass on that one right now because I haven't gotten that far into the draft. I'm probably about 100 players in. I have a lot more work to do on those guys. But I will say this, a running back typically is a type of guy that can give you the best production from that spot. So maybe it's a guy like A.J. Dillon from Boston College on day number three. Maybe it's a defensive back because we know how well this team handles bringing in unsung players at that position. Like Tay Hayes, for instance, down the stretch. Like Nick Needham as an undrafted free agent. Maybe you go after a cornerback late in the draft and that's the guy that has production for you this season right away as a rookie this one from Aaron Stafford at staff 23 talk me off the ledge I'm worried Tua will be the next Carson Wentz our fan base is already divided on Tua did you see more from a healthy Tua than a healthy Wentz in college and pro tape well I just don't really believe in projecting the injuries from college kids because a lot of the times it can be fluky those ankle things were elective surgeries the only real considerable injury he ever had was this hip and that too was kind of a fluke I mean this is the kind of injury people have in car accidents but Carson Wentz I mean he got hit in the head that that's that's just happens in football but as far as what I saw on college tape yeah I've always thought Tua was one of the better prospects we've seen in recent years and that's why I'm drafting him because when he's healthy he's elite level quarterback and I don't pass on that opportunity when it's right there in front of me we got a few one-liners here. Let's do rapid fire. This first one from Will Ruiz at Slow Rolling You. Do you think we go DB with Pittsburgh or Houston's pick? Uh, man, I don't know. It could be. I like Christian Fulton and Antoine Winfield there. I like Xavier McKinney in that spot as well. So it could be, but I think the offensive line really begs the question there. Running back as well. You could do anything you want for this Dolphins team because again, ultimate flexibility. Next one here from KID at Grio Pigliz. Chances we hit on a very good free safety tackle and guard in the first round. Well, I think every pick's a 50% chance, right, for the most part in the first round. Get into the second and third round, you're talking about maybe a one and three chance. So less than 50, I suppose. But if you draft players for your system, you have more of a chance of hitting on those guys. Next one from Steve Donofiro Jr. at Dono underscore Jr. Who is the starting quarterback in 2021? Tua Tonga Next question from JT Evans at JT underscore Evans. Which position do you think Miami will make a big investment in this offseason that most won't see coming? That's actually a really good question because, like you said, people won't see it coming. I think the linebacker position needs a lot of upgrades because your linebackers in the scheme play down around the edge and on the football so much in those bare fronts. And what a bare front is, you have a guy up over the nose, you have two other tackle slash big defensive ends up over the guards, and then you bring your linebackers down off the edge to set the edge and rush the passer off that edge as well. I think Kyle Van Noy makes so much sense. I've said it so many times. If he hits free agency, he's a day one signing for Miami. And Kyler Fat 
back role of Green Bay. Talked about him a lot too. Kind of the odd man out there, but he had 10 and a half sacks a year ago. He's a great fit off the edge as well. You talk about Matthew Judon, who is the cream of the crop. If he gets out of Baltimore, I don't think he will. He is the Yannick Ngakwe of linebackers, a guy you could go out and just give a oodles and oodles of cash, and I'd be totally fine with that. So linebacker will be the one I think that surprises folks, although it should not. Okay, we have tons of questions left in here. I want to get to as many as I can, so maybe we'll do a live Twitter thread over the weekend, a live video, I should say. Let me know on Twitter if you want me to do that, and I will if enough people tell me to. Let's go ahead and make some playoff picks real quick before we get out of here. Two and two last weekend. Honestly, the playoffs are so damn hard to predict. I could see chalk in the AFC and upsets in the NFC, but I'm going to go with just one upset this weekend. Give me the Seahawks and all their championship pedigree and postseason experience, and that course quarterback, the baddest man with the ball in his hands late in the game to top the Packers and give me the favorites. Otherwise, Niners, Ravens, and Chiefs, and what a great championship Sunday that would be. Ravens and Chiefs, 49ers and Seahawks, that would be fantastic. Although, what would be even better is, come on Tannehill, get that done this weekend. All right, guys, we are finally out of time for the day's podcast and the week's podcast here on Locked on Dolphins. You all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked on Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked on Fins and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. Enjoy the football weekend. We'll talk to you on Sunday night for the offensive line preview edition of the Locked on Dolphins podcast. Podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.